The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of John Hersey High School or District 214. The Last Temptation of Clarence Oddbody Chapter 1 Read by the author, John Jughead Pearson George Bailey fights the current on the outskirts of his small, peaceful town, surprisingly vicious river. He bobs helplessly above and below the waterline, taking in large quantities of water every time he goes under. When he comes up for air, snowflakes pelt his eyes and mouth. He searches in the darkness for the little old man who jumped in before him. At least he thought there was a little old man. He could have sworn that he heard a cry for help but he's not so sure now. Maybe it was only an inner voice surfacing from the darkest part of his own imagination, giving him the final push he needed to go through with his desperate plan. There is no sound but the crashing waves. George thrashes blindly in search of the little old man. He isn't certain he knows whom he's trying to rescue, but he pictures a face that is friendly and familiar. He wants to keep searching for the little old man to save him, but he's tired and cold. He was already weary when he made the choice to dive off the bridge into the freezing river. He experienced a surge of adrenaline from the plunge, but that sudden burst of energy has quickly subsided. He can feel his blood slow and solidify under his skin. He knows he cannot fight the current much longer. The force is already pulling him farther downstream, and he's tired of struggling. He might have enough breath left to scream for help, Someone might hear him, but then he reconsiders. To be here alone was what he wanted in the first place. He's been told he's worth more dead than alive. (laughs) Now it seems true. He thinks of his wife and his children. His tears get carried away by the waves. Crying makes his weak limbs even more exhausted and chilled. But how can he resist? He loves his family dearly. As he continues to tread water, his body feeling heavier with each kick, he frantically reaches a free hand into his front pocket. He drifts farther downstream. He wrangles from the small pocket a few petals he saved from Zuzu's rose. They are wet now, barely holding together, but he channels his last bit of strength into clutching the petals as delicately as he can. The water naturally overcomes him. He sinks downward. Clarence leans over the bridge's railing and watches the current carry George into the distance. His baggy gray suit and fedora are soaked through to his pale, wrinkled, pruned skin. His thick, stubby fingers grip strongly onto the metallic ledge. His feet dangle off the ground, so he scoots over slightly and secures his footing on top of his suitcase. He sees George go under for the last time. His burly eyebrows follow his gaze upward as he looks through the clouds into the depths of the stars. Oh, Joseph, what have I done? Clarence looks back down into the river, the waves violently crashing against each other. The snow flurries in fast on a sharp blast of arctic wind. A few droplets of water fall from his hat onto his large red nose. And in an instant, He is miraculously 
and completely dry. This is the Arc Light Podcast, illuminating the stories that make us who we are. Produced by the Academic Resource Center at John Hersey High School. I am Bruce Janu, the head librarian at Hersey High School. John Jughead Pearson is one of the most creative people I know. He is an actor. He spent over a decade with the neo-futurists in Chicago. In the longest-running Chicago play, Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind. That play was billed as 30 plays in 60 minutes. He has played the wizard, Ollivander, at Universal Studios in Tokyo. He is a puppeteer and learned from people who worked with Jim Henson. He is a musician and was the co-founder of the highly influential punk band, screeching weasel. He also formed a band, Even in Blackouts, and the Mitochondriacs. He is a podcaster and has a show called Jughead's Basement, where he interviews musicians. He is also an author. His first novel was called Weasels in a Box, which was a fictional version of his non-fictional life with Screeching Weasel. His second novel, The Last Temptation of Clarence Oddbody, tells an alternate version of It's a Wonderful Life, in which Clarence, the angel, does not save George. He is also a 1985 graduate of Hersey High School. We sat down to talk about The Last Temptation of Clarence Oddbody, but ended up talking about much, much more. You and I go way back. I don't remember when we first met, but you were a year older than me at Hersey. We shared a role when you were a senior in the front page, right? So it was through kind of the the theater program here. Yeah, we were both in Alice in Wonderland, too. Oh, that's right. Yes, I was the bad hatter. Matt, yeah, yeah. Did you say bad hatter? The I was the white knight. Yeah, I thought you, you said bad knight. hatter. <laughs> well, depends on how you look at it. I probably was the mad bad hatter. Mad, yeah, mad um, hatter. I remember. I'm sorry. One thing I I remember. I and I come to this story ever since I still act. I I, I tell this story about how I had the small role that was in in a speech or in a poem during the uh, the caterpillar scene. And uh, what was it called? Uncle Uncle something or another. But I, I basically came on in a long beard, all this makeup and a costume, and I would do a stand on my head. And there was one night that they – I can't remember the guy who played the Caterpillar, but I'm there in costume on this off stage, and then he just goes past my line. <laughs> like <laughs> – I always remember that, standing there in full, like, old man makeup and hair and the cold costume and, like – Oh, <laughs> oh man, oh, that's something. So else. yeah, I think that's that's probably when we. I mean, I've always seen you around. We had a lot of friends in yeah. common, but I think that's right. probably 
where we had more yeah, time together. I, you know, one thing, uh, go back to school, which was, uh, it was in Lion Lion Trainer's class, uh, Mr. Okay. Lion Trainer. <laughs> Is he gone? He's been retired for a long time. He retired, oh. uh, I believe, in 2000. Wow, wow. Yeah. So, so basically, um, I was in a class, yeah, I was in a class, uh, his rock music class, and I brought in a song, uh, Bad Company, that um, talks, it was the one about, um, wow. Oh, rock and roll fantasy. That's what it was. And and I was like, because you're supposed to bring in something personal about yourself that comes out in someone else's music. And I, I felt really deeply about this. Like, oh, I wanted to be a rock and roll person. And after and I dissected it for the class. And I didn't even get a chance to get to that. He comes right after he heard the song. He goes, everyone has that, that wish to be a rock and roll star. And that was it. Then he went on to the next person. Didn't even ask any questions or anything. <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to show you. Yeah, well, I kind of felt like that at that moment. Yeah. It did. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I never really, uh, I didn't do a lot of the things that people would do to do that. I didn't have any musical training. I didn't, uh, I didn't, we didn't even really, when we started the band, we didn't even do it the way that most people were doing it. Like find a couple venues around town and play there. We just got out of out of, out of Chicago right away, started touring right away. So. In 1986, after graduating from Hersey High School, John formed the band Screeching Weasel with another Hersey student, Ben Foster, who goes by the name Ben Weasel. John remained with Screeching Weasel until 2006. We were doing a style of music that was dead. Um, you know, it, it the Ramones happened and then there was a little bit of melodic punk music and then it died out like in you know i don't know when before we started early 80s and then it turned into a hardcore music so most of the big bands then were all really fast hardcore music like uh black flag or and then uh we just sort of rediscovered uh melody and music and that's what we wanted to do and we were like the outcasts at that time now it's almost ridiculous to say that because it's influenced even like mainstream music again you know like Pink's one of Pink's record was uh, written by one of my friends from the you know the punk scene, so yeah. it definitely has reached out into mainstream music. What is your favorite Screeching Weasel song? I uh, that's a hard one to say. I there's one that's called uh, "What We Hate," which is from My Brain Hurts, which is one of the more popular yeah. records. Right, and that song is you know it's about becoming what you hate. And I thought it was a really wise song. And uh, we, I mean, in life in general, you find yourself doing the things that you didn't want to be doing or that mm -hmm. you criticize others for. Uh, so I thought it was dead on. It was also one of the first songs we wrote when we changed, when we went from 100% hardcore band to melodic music. And that's before the term pop punk was around. It was actually named after us. Uh, yeah. So it, 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 was, it was something new to us. And uh, that's why I remember that song. I think it was the first one we wrote in that style.
And so after Weasel, your next big musical thing was even in Blackouts. How did they yes. differ? Well, I purposely, uh, I, I went into that like how me and Ben went into Screeching Weasel, which was it wasn't a popular format at the time. And we stuck out like a sore thumb. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to do a new band, I'm not going to do what a lot of the other guys were doing, which is try to recreate your old band. Because to me, it fails. Artistically, it fails for me. It, it would have been a better move for me to be popular wise. But I was like, I want to do the opposite things. So instead of having like a Weasley sounding singer, I wanted a male singer. I wanted a female choir trained vocalist. And instead of using electric guitars, I wanted to use acoustic guitars. That was the idea was to do everything different, except I wanted to keep the punk energy and the punk aesthetic, like doing it ourselves, booking our own shows, recording our own records, stuff like that. What's your, what's your favorite uh, track from Even in Blackouts? Those are the ones I have trouble with the most, the questions. It's like, what is your favorite yeah. of something? I know. But I'll just throw one out there. One of, the, one of the ones where I really thought I made a music, you know, because I, I never really considered myself a good musician. And even in Blackouts was learning how to become like a, a real musician. Like a, every record, I gave myself the task of learning new chords or, or new rhythms. Um, but I would say uh, my song Darkest Days about the, my father passing away is probably the one where I... I hit a stride where I actually felt like I learned how to write a song. I'll be walking home today. He's not coming anyway. He backed into a pole. Tore the fender off, knocked the pole right down. They carted him away. Police cops on his adult brain. Concerned or ashamed This can't be happening once again In my mind I play it over and over again Days gone and years ago Was I concerned or was I afraid? I wonder And you mentioned your your new band. You want to uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the Mitochondriacs comes from, uh, I mean, out of the pandemic, frustration with that and all the you know the horrible things I went through, being separated from the one I love. And uh, I was maybe angry for the first time in my life, like really angry. Yeah. And yeah, I started never, writing these. I've never seen you angry. <laughs> no, I know I'm not. And uh <laughs> I just started writing this stuff and it just so happened at the same time, two of my friends from a, like a maybe third generation pop punk music uh, contacted me and said, we have a studio. We want you to just come in and play with us. And I was like, okay. So the idea was I would write a song. Then that day I would introduce it to them and we would record it that night. So it was about being quick. Like yeah. the, I wanted it to be about quick, quick creativity and they're all based on anger, but it's they're funny to me. They're funny because even the, the one live show we did, I had said something about being this is the only time I'm going to be nice because I'm contractually required to be an. Ass 
told to you or debate, you know, <laughs> and I couldn't do it. Every time I threw an insult out, I would apologize. So it became a running joke that I could, I can't be like, I can't be angry and mean. In 2011, John published his second novel, The Last Temptation of Clarence Oddbody. This novel explores an alternate plot for the movie It's a Wonderful Life. The movie was based on a short story called The Greatest Gift. And John ponders what would have happened if George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart in the film, was not saved by Clarence Oddbody, the angel sent down to do just that. We discussed the reasons why he wrote the novel and how difficult it was writing a novel based on a beloved holiday movie. I, I think like any novel someone is writing, it's probably about a lot of things in their own lives, just masked in some ways. Uh, but I, I could say it started with, I was in New York with the neo-futurist helping start a company there. And I was on the subway train, on the platform underground. And I just started thinking about it. it's a wonderful life. I don't know why. And I said, I think I might even have said it out loud, but I said, what? Because in the, in the movie, Harry lives because... Uh, George Bailey saves his life and loses his hearing. You know, he, he's, he was sledding down a hill and he, the ice broke and Harry, his brother, fell in. And I think I said out loud in the station, I go, well, if George was never born, Harry probably would not have been there. So he wouldn't have drowned. <laughs> so uh, it, it started me thinking about all these, the idea of chaos theory, really, and how could any angel first class or second class actually be able to predict what was going to happen or can we even predict the outcomes of our all of our actions and what does that mean to being a good person is basically yeah. so i was exploring so redemption and what does it mean to be a good person and i didn't want to write a fan fiction that's what i resisted for two years the idea was in my head for like two years yeah. and i kept saying no to myself because i didn't want to be like a fan fiction writer but it, it didn't go, it didn't never left my head. So I committed to it. Yeah. And so the book starts basically at that point in the movie where, you know, George jumps off the bridge. Yes. That's, and so for the first third of the book, we are in 1945 as Bedford Falls is trying to deal with the disappearance of George Bailey. 
Yes. And, yeah. and we've got Clarence there who um, witnessed the whole thing. So in essence, the entire um, book is about Clarence failing to save George. Yes. And then, well, yeah, he, he becomes a fallen happened. angel. He becomes a yeah. fallen angel because be, through a series of outcomes, he chooses he yeah. chooses not to save George. Yeah. So I think that's, yeah. He doesn't fail. He chooses. I'm yeah. sorry to clarify. He just, it actually no, no, sets no, no, the no, whole no. tone of the, yeah. It, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, um, and he's kind of this tragic figure then. Yeah, I really started to love that character. And I didn't even yeah. know what the name of the book was going to be when I was writing it. I don't think I decided that till near the end when I was like, oh, well, the characters yeah. that I thought were going to be the center weren't. It ended up being Frank and Clarence were, and Ernie were like the main. Ernie. And Zuzu. Yeah. But I didn't expect that. I didn't know what to expect. Um, yeah. So I did name that for Clarence because it ended up, yeah, he, he is the string throughout the whole. Yeah. There is a thread through it that I, you know, I noticed this next time around and it kind of begins on page 44, you know, Clarence often uh, looks up to this guy and talks to Joseph, <laughs> you know, hoping <laughs> Joseph yeah. listens to him, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and um, you know, the rolling stream of fabrications he just told Ernie hurt deeply. Lying is such a horrible invention. It destroys the soul. And, and then we get a little bit of his backstory. You know, you yeah, go back yeah. to like the 1700s with him, but that, that you know, that theme of, of lying, especially in regard to Clarence, comes up quite a bit in this. Yeah, I, I think it was hard to have, there's lots of things in the movie that I couldn't avoid that were stereotypical to that story. And one of them was his innocence. So I wanted to, I didn't want him to be like a fool character. I wanted to understand why someone would be that innocence. And it's to me, it was just, oh, he believes in truth to like the extent, like the farthest yeah. extent. He's got a very Kantian way of looking at morals. Yes. And, yeah, you yeah. know, this kind of lying that he does, it's it's like soul, it's soul sucking for him. Um, yeah, I, I feel the same. That's, that's for myself too. Like I, I find myself... I do lie in life, but I usually have found and subversively in my own self have found a way to lie, which is to not speak back, not not say anything. <laughs> but so the idea of lying is a is a theme in my life in general, just trying to overcome that instinct to fabricate. Well, who are you? I told you, George, I'm your guardian angel. What is it you want, Mary? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Welcome home, Mr. Bailey. Santa Mandel hogwash. I wish I had a million dollars. Mr. and Mrs. Martini, welcome home. This is what I wished for. You see, George, you 
Well, I, I, I do love the movie. It's not like a, you know, any kind of slap towards the movie or anything. I sure. really do think it's a great movie. But, um, <laughs> I, and I, the other part was that people don't, when they talk about the movie, they forget to recall how dark it is. It's a really dark movie. And I was interested in that. I was like, okay, let me see where I could take that darkness. That first three fourths of the movie is like a different movie completely. Him walking around, everyone getting him getting thrown out of places and beat up, and you know, he's he's got blood on his face, you know, before he it's it's pretty dark. <laughs> but but the short story is darker from what I've read. Um, it's more distilled, so okay. it 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 the darkness is thrown in your face quicker. But it still has the happy, you know, the ending, the realization yeah, that okay. your life matters. Mm-hmm. Is the, the theme is the same? Yeah. In it. So, how did you prepare? Okay, so you're tackling this uh, this story now, looking at an alternate way of how the, it could have ended and what would happen to these characters. Um, yeah, I thought I'd be able to dig into it and not worry about all that stuff, but as soon as I really started writing chapters i was like oh my god i have to actually know this movie and the history in this town and everything about it because i make one wrong step and like hundreds of you know super fans are going to be down my throat (laughs) right and you know and so like the first third of the book you know takes place in that time frame of where the movie sits Yes. Yeah, I got kind of got that idea from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. I love that whole idea that while another story is going on, you know, while the main story is going on, there's another story going on behind it. So I, I liked having overlapping scenes and behind, you know, what's going on there. And part two were in the mid '60s. Yes. Did that just come along with, you know, the process of writing? Did you know from the start when you sat down and you wrote the story, you would be telling the story over decades? Well, what I don't, I don't want to give, I'm going to talk about without giving away is that from the beginning, I had that last scene with Ernie and Zuzu and, and Clarence in my head. Oh, okay. Right. So I knew where it was going to end up. Okay. Um, I didn't know how I was going to get there. But I knew it had to be in the future, you know, the future of the movie. And it was going to be about Zuzu. Right. I didn't know Ernie and Clarence and Frank were going to come along with the journey, but I knew it was going to be about uh, Zuzu. What is it that you want people to walk away with when they finish this book? I remember there was a battle a couple of my friends were having about it being even darker than the movie and it's like a sad ending. And to me, it wasn't a sad ending. It was about that we're all we're all part of this bigger machine, but it just happens to be a little bit of chaos in that machine. And so thinking about each other and our relatives and our children is just as, as important as thinking about yourself. So I, I, I wanted that redemption for Clarence to happen, but not in George. So that was kind of the idea. That's what I want people to get is that he didn't fail, you know, that the choices we make sometimes don't go the way we plan, but it doesn't mean we failed.
If a student were listening to this, a student struggling with like writer's block, a student struggling to get out, you know, some of the you know, things that they have in uh, them, whether it's music, writing, just like a creative impulse. What, what advice do you give to a kid right now sitting in high school who doesn't quite know, you know, like where they fit in, how to yeah. go about doing this? First of all, I, I've always had trouble with that phrase, uh, writer's block, because I think the words that are chosen gives the writer the excuse to, to give up or to walk away. Whereas I think it's more like your brain is still working on a deeper level on it. It's You've got problems that you're dealing with and you can't walk away from it. You just got to figure out what you are actually thinking. Like, And, and the Neo Future sort of helped me with this where we had to write every week. And sometimes you think I don't have anything to write about. So uh, I guess I'll write about me putting on my underwear in the morning or I'll write about this stupid thing I did. And then you discover that the mundane things in your life's are where the stories actually live. So I think what people need to do is what they think is boring in their lives is probably what's the most interesting. So to me, a novel is like that. You have to have the beginning and the end, but what's going to happen in the middle is that's where the creativity is. That's where the unknown lives, you know, chaos and randomness and then back to the exactly where I planned it to be. Special thanks to John Jughead Pearson for sitting down with me to discuss all of these topics. He was in Colorado at the time, and we met briefly before he had to check out of his hotel. So thank you, John, for making the time. If you would like more information about John or to listen to his podcast, go to Jughead'sBasementPodcast.com. His podcast, Jughead's Basement, is also available anywhere you get your podcasts. If we would like to read The Last Temptation of Clarence Oddbody, we have a couple of copies in the library, so stop on down. You could also get the novel on Kindle or any other e-reader as well. On this episode, we listened to several music clips, all courtesy of John Jughead Pearson. What We Hate by Screeching Weasel. Screeching Weasel downloads and streams are available on Spotify or anywhere you get your music. Darkest Days by Even in Blackouts. You could find Even in Blackouts on Bandcamp and Spotify. And the song, Or Nothing, comes from the new Mitochondriacs album entitled Antonymous, available on Bandcamp. It's a Wonderful Life is now owned by Paramount Studios. The trailer comes courtesy of Paramount. All other incidental music and sound effects were licensed through Audioblocks via Bell Book and Camera Productions. More information about the ArcLight podcast can be found at herseyarc.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Got an idea for the show? Reach out to me at bruce.janu at d214.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time.